There's an apocryphal story about the bank robber Willie Sutton, where later on in life, after he had been incarcerated for his crimes, he was being interviewed, and the interviewer blatantly asked him, why did you rob banks? To which Sutton replied, because that's where the money is. Everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the America of America podcast. As always, I'm Will Milam. So Halloween 2021 has come and gone, and now we're smack dab in the middle of fall season, getting ready for uh, Thanksgiving before getting ready for Advent and Christmas. So I'm very excited for that. I hope everybody's enjoying the weather uh, while we still have it. Um. Today's episode I came across when I was doing a lot of the research for um, the Haunted Oklahoma stuff because Pretty Boy Floyd came up in a lot of uh, the haunted locations. Um, anything about 100 years old, it seemed like one of the stories was that Pretty, Fo- Pretty Boy Floyd drank there or hid out there and that came across several of uh, the stories that I was looking up. So I thought that he sounds like an interesting character and I really didn't know a lot about him. So I thought it would be a good idea that I could learn about Pretty Boy Floyd and ergo you could learn about Pretty Boy Floyd. And I think that was a great idea because Pretty Boy Floyd is by far the most famous uh, bandit to come out of Oklahoma, a state actually known largely for its banditry and having a lot of outlaws. So I'm really excited to get started with this episode and I hope you're looking forward to hearing it. So I'd like to start today's episode about Floyd off with a discussion of what makes bandits so appealing in not just American culture, but a lot of Western culture, specifically uh, Anglo, so English culture, um, and what causes that to become entrenched in our folklore and in our stories. And there was a historian who took this very seriously by the name of Eric Hobsbawm, who um, is a famous English Marxist historian who read a lot about uh, the economic history of England in the 20th century, uh, was a Marxist, so probably a bit crazy, but uh, still considered to be a good historian. And Hobsbawm came up with a term that he called social banditry. And under this thought, um, outlaws were the lower class people living on the outskirts of society, literally outside of society meaning that obviously an outlaw could be killed legally by anybody without them facing retribution for that killing. But outlaws in folklore were seen as often committing crimes against a corrupt and criminal upper class wreaking havoc upon the lower classes and the peasants. So in this instance, think of the most famous social bandit in history, Robin Hood, who was thought to steal from the rich and give to the poor, but often stealing from the rich and giving to himself and his merry men. But as a drawback to that, um, from Robin Hood simply being a rebel against the upper classes, you if you look closely at some of the Robin Hood stories, every time the King of England shows up and the King of England does show up, Robin shows a certain amount of deference and respect, actually not just a certain amount, a lot of deference and respect to the King of England. 
Robin does not show that deference to the nobles and high-ranking clergy. So Hobsbawm thought that this banditry was a kind of something akin to a proto-labor movement that would arise in the 18th and 19th century, well, really the 19th centuries. So Hobsbawm was criticized for this idea as being a bit Anglo-centric because obviously social bandits exist in all centuries of folklore, but there are other parts of the country, or excuse me, other parts of the world, specifically in the Greek and Ottoman styles of the world where uh, bandits would often be hired by the governments to actually suppress the peasantry. So again, think of the difference between Robin Hood stealing from the rich and giving to the poor and Robin Hood stealing from the rich and giving to Robin Hood. Because obviously, if these bandits, who are these working class heroes, were actually working against the lower class, it seems that the bandits were not actually acting out of their class interest. So Hobsbawm's Marxist uh, interpretation would be incorrect. And that leads us to hopefully something more interesting, which is Pretty Boy Floyd. So Charles Arthur Floyd was born in Georgia to a farming family in 1904. But in 1911, when Floyd was six or seven, the family headed west, as many did at the time, to eastern Oklahoma. Floyd as a boy was smart, but rebelled against his arduous life spent in the fields picking cotton with his family. And specifically around this time, Floyd became enraptured with the stories of the outlaws, specifically the outlaw Jesse James. So by age 16, Floyd left home and sought employment as a hired hand on the wheat harvest circuit throughout the Great Plains. But when he was also in his teens, teens, excuse me, Floyd picked up a bigger hobby, which was moonshining, though apparently Floyd preferred Choctaw beer, which is a certain type of beer that if you have any interest in chalk beer in Oklahoma, it makes a modern version of that type of beer. Uh, so he preferred that to moonshine, but he was very into moonshine to make money. So when Floyd sought employment in the Great Plains, he did that, but also on the side, he really continued bootlegging. So Floyd did that for a while, but in 1924, he would return home to Oklahoma and marry a farmer's daughter named Ruby Hardgraves, and they would have a son. And it was around this time that the legend of Pretty Boy Floyd really begins. And the legend tells us now that Floyd traded five gallons of corn whiskey for a pearl-handed pistol and hopped on a train to St. Louis before robbing his first bank. Now, that might sound really cool, except we have to remember that Floyd was a rookie, so this incident ended up putting him in a Missouri prison and for his trouble getting divorce papers from his wife. As often happens, prison didn't serve as a place of Retribution, well, retribution is not the word, right word, but rehabilitation, and instead, Floyd's criminal education advanced to the chagrin of the criminal justice system. Once he was out of prison, Floyd headed straight for Kansas City, where he and his future girlfriend uh, named Beulah Baird were playing cards, and she would give him the name Pretty Boy, which would attach with him the rest of his life. Now, after getting the name Pretty Boy Floyd, Pretty Boy Floyd became Pretty Boy Floyd and went on one of the most successful crime-robbing sprees throughout the Southwest, all the way from Ohio, excuse me, the Midwest, all the way from Ohio to Oklahoma. Carrie Floyd, or excuse me, Floyd carried out 30 successful bank robberies. And as it happens, Floyd was implicated in several murders carried out over the course of these robberies, including the famous bounty hunter Irv Kelly. So at this point, Floyd is wanted not only for bank robbery, but he's wanted for murder. One of the most dramatic and operatic of Floyd's exploits 
came when he was robbing the Salisaw State Bank in Oklahoma in broad daylight, in full view of a rapt crowd who were cheering him on as he was robbing the bank. Now, this was the crescendo of Floyd's career as an outlaw, and by this time he was already a folk hero. But now comes one of the most confusing aspects of the Floyd legend, which is the Kansas City Massacre. So the Kansas City Massacre has to do with a guy named Frank Nash, who was known as the most successful bank robber in U.S. history. So Frank Nash stole some money from a store in Sepulpa, Oklahoma, and after a tragic series of events, this led Frank Nash to murder his partner, get in and out of prison, and finally end up in prison in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, only to escape to be apprehended again in Hot Springs, Arkansas. So now that the federal that the federal agents as well as the local cops have Frank Nash, they have they decide that he has to go stand trial in Kansas City. So Frank Nash has to be transported from Hot Springs, Arkansas to Kansas City, Missouri. Now, word got out that Frank Nash was being transferred to Kansas City, and a number of outlaws knew this and they began to plan an escape. At this time, it does not seem that Floyd actually knew of this plan, but Floyd just happened to be on his way to Kansas City by a grim coincidence. So on his way to Kansas City, Floyd and an accomplice were stopped in Bolivar, Missouri, when their car broke down. And the sheriff showed up to arrest them at the body shop that they were at, and Floyd and his accomplice held the sheriff and his men at gunpoint before putting them in a car and driving near Kansas City, only to let the sheriff go near Kansas City and steal another car and finally make it to Kansas City. And once Floyd was in Kansas City, he learned of the plot to get Nash free. So when Nash got to Kansas City and was being put in the car, those outlaws were waiting. It was said that when they put Nash into the car on the street, they decided to put him in the front seat, but the outlaws were already armed and ready to go, and they began opening fire on the car, and Nash and the chief of police of Oklahoma were killed. So now, they are really, really after Floyd. Now, to this day, Floyd and Floyd's family subsequently vehemently denied that Floyd had anything to do with this operation, but the FBI seemed convinced that he did. Some witnesses placed Floyd at the scene where he was supposed to have been there, but those same witnesses said that they saw Floyd get shot, and Floyd's body later showed no evidence of a bullet wound. No matter, at this point, Floyd became public enemy number one after the death of John Dillinger. And this saw the beginning of Floyd's downfall. And in 1934, Floyd was in Buffalo, New York, when his car hit a telephone pole in the fog. And after Floyd and his accomplice sent the females in their group to go get a tow truck, Floyd and his accomplice sat by the road. Seeing two suspicious men sitting by the road in the fog, locals called the sheriff, and the sheriff showed up. And this is where the accounts begin to differ. Uh, They seem to all state that Floyd ran into the woods, and all these stories center on the police firing on Floyd into a car near East Liverpool sometime later. And afterwards, Floyd running towards some trees before one of the officers finally shot and killed him. There are many detailed accounts, detailed accounts of Floyd's death. They are similar in some ways, conflicting in some other ways. I recommend you look those up for yourself because I'm having trouble parsing through them and I do not want to give a detail that is incorrect. But needless to say, Floyd died in this ensuing gunfight 
and Floyd's body was eventually shipped back to Salisaw a couple days later, where his funeral gathered, where his funeral attracted 20 to 40,000 Oklahomans coming out to grieve his death and see his burial. And it remains the largest burial or the largest funeral in the history of the state of Oklahoma. Subsequently, Woody Guthrie would release a song called Pretty Boy Floyd, portraying him as a Robin Hood, i.e. social bandit type figure. And Floyd would live on in The Grapes of Wrath in Chapter 8, where Ma Joe speaks well of Floyd and having seen Floyd at some time. And there is the 30,000 feet view of the most famous and notorious bandit to come out of the state of Oklahoma. Whether he was a downright crook or social bandit and folk hero, um, I have my opinions, but I will leave those to better and well-informed people to discuss. But I think that that's a good primer, and that's where we're going to end today. I'm uh, I'm so happy that we all got to listen to the ghost stories, but I'm also happy to be talking about some stuff that aren't ghost things that aren't ghost stories. So I'm very glad to be back. Again, hope everybody's enjoying the November weather and looking forward to the rest of the holidays this year. And I hope to see you next week. And with that, I'm Will Milam. This is the America of America podcast. Thanks for listening.